0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. You guys are officially dismissed? Hope you have a great rest of your day. No, I'm just kidding. Um, It's been a long time since we've had that video and I should have known something was up when uh, Nick mentioned last week We haven't done one of those videos in a while. So um, those are all photos of me, legit. They're not doctored up. They're not Ryan, which I know you guys sometimes can get confused about us. Um, Just think of the surfer haircut. That was me back in the day. Uh, A lot lot of fun. Uh, And I hope you gained some good first impressions about me. So I had braces at one point. I didn't wear my retainer. That's why some of my teeth are still crooked. Um, Kids, wear your retainers. Um, no my name is Aaron like the video showed uh, a lot of my cute versions uh, now I'm a little older a lot grayer uh, but I'm still Aaron uh, and I'm so glad you're here today uh, if this is your first time thanks for being here today and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be up on the platform to continue our discipleship series uh, as we are in part seven this is a big series for our church we really believe and love the direction that God is stirring in each of us uh, so I'm glad you're here today if you're tuning in online I just want to say welcome to just kidding, got you. Uh, welcome to the Grove. I'm glad you're here today. Inside joke, you guys kind of know what I'm talking about. So I just want to say welcome. Glad you're here uh, from wherever you're tuning in on. Maybe you're home, maybe you're on vacation, maybe you're on the road. Uh, but I'm so glad you're tuning in today so you can continue in our series of discipleship. Uh, I, love, I love this series and I hope it's been challenging and, uh, you know, convicting in the right sense of that phrase where it's left you, man, like there's more. God, I know there's more. Uh, and I'm excited today to hit a simple line and simple thought that a disciple is known by their love for others. And, and I think there's no greater way to just simply make a statement. When you see someone wearing Mariners gear, you know they what? They're a Mariners fan, right? And I know some Mariners fans that are thrilled right now because the MLB season is back. Any other Mariners fans excited to see some baseball today? A few of us. The strong and the faithful, well done. Um, but you, you know... That if they're wearing Mariners gear, they're, they're Mariners fans. You know that if someone's walking around in their Letterman jacket, that they were once, what? An athlete, right? Maybe they're walking around with their pom-poms. Now, the question can be asked, why are they still wearing those things or carrying those things? But we're not going to go there today. But there's a perception that we know based upon what they're wearing or how they're acting, right? Which then for me today begs the simple question. As Christians, what should single you and I out? As Christians, what should be our letterman jacket? What should be our mariner gear? What should single you and I out as followers of Jesus? The simple answer is love. But there's a much deeper profound truth that we have got to wrestle through as followers of Christ. Because we are called to be known by our love for others. And I love what 1 John talks about as we're going to jump into the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, to start us off. Uh, and, and if you don't know anything about this author named John, he is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He, he walked and lived with Jesus for the three and a half years as he was following in Jesus' earthly ministry. And he was what he self-proclaimed in the book of John, the gospel of John, that I am the beloved disciple. The disciple whom Jesus loves was an implication of like, that's me. Jesus loves me. In my family, we play favorites. Uh, and the goal is to, for my mom to say, you're my favorite. I'm, I'm one of four siblings. I have an older sister, a younger sister, and a younger brother. And any time that I get to be the favorite is a good day. The problem is when I'm declared the favorite in front of my other siblings, then my mom immediately shifts from, Aaron, you're my favorite. Andrew, you're my favorite. Anya, you're my favorite. So it's not really carries much meaning. But John, who's a beloved disciple, was with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. He's the one that leaned over to Jesus at the Last Supper. It says, Jesus, who's gonna betray you? And Jesus responds by the one who dips his cup in essence, alluding to to Judas, Iscariot. So John is an author of four epistles in the the New Testament. There's the Gospel of John, sorry, five, I apologize. The first, second, and third John, and then the book of Revelation, which we won't touch today, I promise. But John writes in, in so many fashions. He writes in, the, in 1 John chapter 4, this book is about love. 1 John is about this idea and concept of love and what it really means and how it's rooted in Jesus. And so I just wanna take a quick moment and hit just a few verses. And so it says this, if you'll read along with me. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's a whole lot of love in this passage. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he loves us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. And then finally, verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. I love what the New Living Translation says at the end there. His love has its full expression in us. Let's pray today for a few moments and then we'll jump into a few thoughts. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you today, not just through a very simple truth, but God, I believe a very deep and profound truth for each of us. And Lord, I pray that we would be stirred to action. God, that we would not check out because we've heard a message about God as love before, But, God, that we would come in with open hands and a humble heart saying, God, what what do I need to hear from you today? That you would give us discernment. You would give us wisdom. And, God, even as we sang just a few moments ago, that you would be magnified in our lives. And in my words today, I pray you would be magnified so that you you could speak and stir each and every one of us to action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. See, John is anchoring this call for you and I to love others back to, to the source of love, which is God. Displayed through the sacrifice and work of Jesus. He is saying that if we fail to love one another, it reveals a deficiency in our relationship with God. When he says in verse 8 that God is love, God's not, John is not adding another characteristic to God's profile. It's not another piece of his biography for his Facebook page or his Instagram profile. It's not just another addition. And I love what the expositor's commentary says in regards to this passage. It says this, that when John is saying God is love, this is what he says. It says all of God's activity is a loving activity. What I mean by that, what he means by that, it says if he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is the expression of his nature. Since this is true of God, A failure to love can only mean that we have no true knowledge of God. We have not really been born of him. We do not have his nature. When John says God is love, he's declaring that the entire motivation of God's action as displayed through Jesus on the cross, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to then send the Holy Spirit so you and I can live empowered, is love-based. It's love-motivated. And I don't know about you, but when I compare this to my life and I read those three simple lines, if he rules, he rules in love, there's times as a parent I don't rule in love. There's times as a parent I drop my fist, not literally, but I put my foot down and say, nope, because I'm dad. There's times in love that even when I put my foot down, which is a good habit and a good practice as parents, but it's not rooted in love. It's rooted in selfishness, it's rooted in in angst, or it's rooted in an inconvenienced selfishness. That when God rules, he rules in love. When he judges, he judges in love. It begs the question for you and I today, what is the root of our activity? And how we treat others, how we treat one another, how we treat that person who flew by me on a two lane street when there was no passing lane. How we treat that barista at Starbucks when they're waiting 20 minutes to make me an Americano. If you don't know what that is, it's two shots with hot water. <laughs> Why does it take so long? Is the activity of my life rooted in love and is it expressed with love? The McDonald's drive through every time I wanna buy an ice cream cone, their ice cream machine is broken. Get with it. John is re-anchoring and re-identifying God's activity. Everything God does is rooted in love. It is because of his love for you and me and those who don't yet know him. Are we following suit? And the way we know this, First John says, that the way that God showed his love for us was by sending his son into the world. You've been a Christian for any long, anything longer than five or 10 minutes or even before you came to Christ. John 3, 16 is a very familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever should believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. We understand that. And again, I love what the expositor's commentary says. It says this, the purpose of God's acts regarding the death and resurrection of Jesus, sending his son, is that we might live through him It says this, that death is man's present condition. God's act has its intention as not just our salvation, but our living. And it is to be living in love so that God's love is seen visibly working in us and through us. It made me think of a transplant that happens. I have had some friends and some people that I've known over the years that they have relied heavily on transplants to survive the liver disease that they've had to survive cancer that they've faced. I've I've known people to get a heart transplant. I've known people to get liver transplants. Transplants are not just a means of saving them from imminent death, but so that they can continue living. See, the gospel for you and I today is this transplant of Jesus's life and heart and purpose so you and I are saved from death so we can continue living. Not so that we just stay saved. What John is reminding you and I today is the simple purpose of God's activity, his loving activity, is not just for salvation and eternity with him, which is going to be glorious and incredible. And that's what Revelation alludes to. And it's going to be in a remarkable time of our, our existence is with Jesus. But it's so that we can continue living now. Not just a one time we're saved from death, we're okay, we're going to make it, but so we can live and live to the fullest expression of God's love. As possible, and is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The purpose of God's acts is so that we might live in him and through him. Then he says this in verses 12 to 13. He says, dear friends, if God has loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Or like I said, as the New Living Translation says, his love has its fullest expression in us. It's interesting to me on this passage, it says that no one has ever seen God. But then he says, if you love one another, his love is made complete. It It brings the fullest expression of God's love. It's the fullest expression of God's activity, his heart, his being exists when we walk in love as he has called us to do so. A disciple is known by their love for others. The heart of this series has been to really anchor down and walk through what does a disciple really mean? What does that phrase mean? What is discipleship? What does it mean of you and I, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we claim to be disciples, what does it look like and how does it live out and play out in our lives? And I love This imperative statement says we must also love one another as we are rooted and reminded of God's hope and God's truth and God's work through his son Jesus. The love and the activity that exists in salvation and living now we must love one another. I read it this way, this phrase that says this, if if the children of God must be holy because he is holy. In 1 Peter 1.15 we see that. And merciful because he is merciful in Luke 6.36. So they must be loving because he is loving. Not with the must of external compulsion, but with the must of inward restraint. In Romans 5.5, it says that God's love is poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit whom they have received. See, the tension that John is hitting us with is this call as disciples of Jesus to love one another and a reminder that you and I won't be able to do it by ourselves. It brings two questions to mind for me today as I process through this passage. The first is this, how do we love as Christ has commanded us and John is exhorting us today? The second question is, what does it practically look like to see love, see love find its full expression in us? And I'm so thankful you asked that question today. I know it's in the comments online. You already asked the questions, so I appreciate that because you helped me set up the rest of my message. The first question of how do we love as Christ has commanded and John is exhorting us to is found back in Romans 5.5 where it says God's love is poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit whom they've received. This directly falls in line with what Heather brilliantly shared last week. I love the challenge of being led and filled by the Holy Spirit to do what we are called to do. And she she painted this picture of having an expert builder. If she were to build a home on her own, she wouldn't be able to do it. But she had this picture of my job as a follower of Jesus is to do step one go grab the hammer and nails. And then when step two happens, to do what step two says that as we are called as Christians to live empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit, we are to do what He is asking us to do one step at a time. Have you ever got caught in a moment where you're waiting for the end result? Okay, God, I'll do that, but show me the process first. Anybody planners out there? Y'all have a vacation coming up and you're just like, I got every stop, every mileage marked down as far as how much we're gonna accomplish in day one. So we sometimes get in our own way and say, okay, God, I'm all for obedience. I wanna follow you, I wanna trust you, but can you show me the process? And God's like, yeah. Step one, grab the hammer and nails. Okay, I got that, what's next? No, no, go grab the hammer and nails. We accomplish what God is exhorting us to do through John, of loving one another one step at a time. God, that driver just cut me off, and I'm pretty sure that they said I'm number one in the most inappropriate way. (laughs) What do I do about them? Smile and wave. Well, what's next? I smiled and waved. No, not like that. Well, why didn't you say something more clearly? (laughs) These are conversations I have with God sometimes. But we are called to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to do step one, and when we accomplish step one, step two. The problem is we wait for the whole thing. God, play this whole thing out. Let me see step one, two, three, four. I want to see step fifty just so I can make sure I'm on I'm trajecting where I need to be. There's a brilliant moment in the Old Testament. Where Abram, who is called by God to leave, and God says, go. And Abram, in my paraphrase, my understanding, but okay, where do you want me to go? God just says, just go. Okay, great, God, I'm packing up. Where am I going? Just go. Okay, but where? Just go. Abram didn't know where he was going, but he was obedient. Can I just give you freedom today? For those of you who are planners, this isn't freedom. This is faith. Be obedient for the step and trust God for the rest. What does it look like when the barista is taking 20 minutes because she's too busy socializing and not making your Americano? Step one, offer grace. Step two, shh. (laughs) Someone just need to hear that today. The truth is this, apart from the Holy Spirit and his work in you and me, we cannot accomplish the love of one another that God is calling us to do through John today. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't accomplish this. There's never a greater experience in understanding this truth than when I became a parent. I love days like today where we get to celebrate with families saying I wanna raise my kids as God is calling me to raise them. But one of the things that no one ever told me, and if they told me I ignored them because I was arrogant and still am, and I'm learning humility, you are going to learn how selfish you really are and how much you hate inconvenience through having children. But the, but the truth is also very clear that they are a reward from God. The children are a blessing from him. And I've come to the full circle moment where I realized, God, my kids are so amazing where their giggles, their laughter, with my my son, with my youngest daughter, they're playing and bantering and laughter and and having fun, and he always likes to wrestle her, so I always have to say, be gentle. And then watching him interact with my older daughter, and and they're laughing and giggling, even though sometimes Abby likes to get mad because he's destroying things instead of playing with her. And I find so much joy, not because he's antagonizing, but because there's joy in my household with my children but I've also realized that I'm really selfish and I'm really prideful and I don't like the inconvenience. And some of you are just like, well, duh. I'm a slow learner. But the beauty of this truth is that I can be the parent God has called me to because I'm finding myself more regularly, daily surrendering what he's asking me to do, saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I take a lot of stock and a lot of hope in Philippians 2.13. It says, for it's God who works both in you to will and desire to do what pleases him. It's God who works in me to do and desire to be a good dad, to be a good husband, to be a good coworker or employee, to be a good boss. It's God who works in me to both will and desire to do what pleases him. I can't be the parent he's asking me to be. I can't be the disciple he's asking me to be apart from the Holy Spirit. I can't. So the answer to the first question is a very simple answer. See last week's message with Heather. Brilliant. I can't do what God's asking me to do, to love others apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. What does it practically look like to see, the, to see love and find, find its full expression in us? I wanna refer back to a passage in 1 Corinthians and before I get there, 1 Corinthians was a church, Corinth was a church that had this religious thing down. They understood the process, the systematic responses, how to go to church, how to do our best, how to save face, how to check the boxes. And I love how Pastor Nick has broken it down where the Gospels talk about the truth and the hope of Jesus, his death and resurrection. And the New Testament epistles are all about the messes being cleaned up. Such a brilliant way to put it. And so Corinth was a church that didn't have it all figured out, but they thought they had it figured out, which really speaks to my life, which is awesome. But he writes this passage coming into a moment where he's reminding them as the Holy Spirit is empowering you to do the work he's called you to There's certain gifts and certain abilities that the Holy Spirit empowers you to. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is. And then he says this at the very last verse of chapter 12, before it jumps into chapter 13. It says, and I will, oh, it says, and desire the better gifts. Talks, connecting the previous passage to the next. He says, and I will show you an even better way. See, the interesting thing is we can come out of 1 Corinthians 12, for those of us who have read it, if you haven't, that's okay, you should totally go back and read it, because it's a great passage. But we can desire giftings and abilities that God is gonna give us, but that's not enough. Then Paul says, I will show you an even better way. He then shifts into 1 Corinthians 13, where it says this, if I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you know those really annoying toys that your, your, your parents like to buy your children? And I'm not talking about like the fun ones that oh, that's fun music and you see your, your kids dance. I'm talking about the annoying ones. Like I looked at my mom one day and said, why, did you, why do you wanna to torment me like you did? If you're watching mom, I still mean that. But the, those really annoying things, Have you ever been around someone who's just annoying, that there's no love in their speech, they're just loud and obnoxious? Don't point at anybody, please. (laughs) Online, don't call anybody out, okay? But this is what Paul's saying, if I have not love, if I don't comprehend and understand God's love, the activity of everything God did, his love, and the root of my loving ability, I'm just a loud, obnoxious gong or symbol. For whatever reason, I have the picture of the how the Grinch stole Christmas with Jim Carrey when he's getting in the monkey and his, he's just slamming the symbols on his head. If we have not love, we're just loud and obnoxious. You know, that's the farthest away that I wanna run from someone is in those moments. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to love others well. He continues on, says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Stop for a second. All faith to say, hey, Mount Pilch, get up and get cast in the sea. Boom, happens. Wow. But I have not love, I'm nothing. The actions mean nothing without love doesn't stop there, which is fun, because one hit after another. It says, if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Then he shifts into a very familiar passage for us. Maybe you've heard it at a wedding. Maybe you've heard it in a church context. But this is, thir- ch- chapter 13 is often referred to as the love chapter. And it says this, that love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and endures all things. Now, if you're anything like I've been, I read a list like that, I'm like, failing, failing, failing. I used to be, nope, failing. And all I see in that passage and in those lines is how incapable I am at loving well. I used to walk away with different moments in these passages and so beat up and so so convicted and feeling so less of myself that I don't believe that that's the intent of this passage. I don't believe Paul is sitting on his high horse and saying, hey, Corinthians, you stink. This is what love looks like and you're not anywhere close. I believe Paul was an inspired author of scripture. And I believe very well, there was a moment, I believe very well the Holy Spirit is speaking and challenging you and I today, not so we walk out discouraged, but so we walk out inspired to see him increase our capacity to love well. I had a meeting with a a, a mentor friend of mine years and years and years ago, and he was talking about the the reality of growth. In order for growth to happen, what needs to be a causation to that, a catalyst for that? And he used a balloon analogy. And I thought I'd bring a balloon for you today. See, in, this, this is a pretty small balloon, correct? You can't really do much with it. But in order for it to, to increase its, its capacity, what has to happen? You have to blow into it, right? Do this. You think I paused because I didn't wanna pass out? I didn't, I did dramatic effect. I'm not that old. But see, in order for the balloon to take shape, in order for the balloon to have a greater capacity, there has to be pressure pushed inside the balloon to stretch it and increase its capacity. See, here's what I believe for you today. I believe the Holy Spirit is taking the simple truth that the disciple is is known by their love for others and highlighting areas where he wants to increase your capacity to love well to remember that Jesus is the anchor and source of our love, that His life is a a reflection of God's activity for you and for me and those who are yet a part of our church family. And that He's calling you much through the, the words of John to love one another well, to be more patient, to be more kind, to not be so irritable, to not be envious to hold no record of wrongs. See, the beauty of a balloon like this is I can increase its capacity even though it's a decently good size. All I have to do is blow again. All I have to do is add pressure to it and it increases its capacity. And see, I believe full well, there's a challenge you and I must leave this room with is to be willing to say, Holy Spirit, where in my life do I need to see my capacity for love increase? As a dad, six to eight weeks ago, I found myself more irritable with my kids than I ever wanted to be. I know none of you have been there, it's only me. And I found myself being frustrated with my ability to be the dad he's called me to be, to be the husband he's called me to be. And I remember sitting in different moments and saying, God, I can't do this, I'm a wretch. I'm, I." Pardon my French. I suck at this. I can't do this. I need your help. You know what happened? Overnight, I went from nothing to this. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. Over time, there was more grace. There was more patience. There was more kindness. There was more uh, a willingness to, to be inconvenienced. It's not a wham bam overnight moment. It's a process. When we stop, when we acknowledge and invite the Holy Spirit to increase our capacities, He sees fit. And I wanna be clear for a moment. If a disciple is known by their love for others, what does that mean for you and I? How are you going forward? into the world you're living in, going to lunch today, spending time with family who are a nuisance and a pain. I have family members like that. I'm not gonna name names, because they might be watching. But there are times I get really annoyed. But I wanna be loving. I wanna be everything Jesus intended me to be. I love what Christian apologist Frank Turk says. And I, before I go there, I love some of the irresistible conversation that we've been walking through as a church for the last six months or so. There's a statement in, in Annie Stanley's book, Irresistible, it says this, that the right message with the wrong approach yields the wrong results. We must rethink our approach. Jesus is the same message that we cling to as Christians and how we communicate, how we live, is a reflection of his truth, his grace, and his love. And I love what Frank Turk says, again, a Christian apologist says this, love does not necessarily mean approval. See, our culture thinks that in order for you to love someone you have to approve of what they do that's ridiculous if you think about it parents if you approve of everything your child wants to do are you loving no you're unloving because you have to stand in the way of evil if you ever truly want to love somebody let me be clear for one moment this is not a license to stand in the way of evil and condemn others when john says love one another he's talking about the challenge are we representing Jesus well enough where do we need to be increased in our capacity to love well those even we disagree with if the last two years has taught us everything anything we don't know we don't always agree on the same things but we are called to as followers of Jesus to love one another well and to let his holy Spirit lead us and guide us and here's my question for all of this to you today where do you, the Holy Spirit need to increase your capacity to love well where do, where do you need more patience and will you ask and invite the Holy Spirit today and say will you fill me up as Romans 5 declares with the love that has been poured into me by the Holy Spirit when you fill up a glass of water do you just leave it there hey cool I did that the glass of water is full we're good no oftentimes you pour it up you fill it up to empty it I'm thirsty I want to drink a glass of water so I pour and drink it much the same thing. When the Holy Spirit fills us with his love, where do we need our capacity to be increased? And will you today be willing to acknowledge, surrender and invite the Holy Spirit to increase your capacity? So six weeks down the road from now, two months down the road from now, you can be more loving towards those around you and those you even cross paths with because a disciple is known by their love for others. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, your hope, your truth. I thank you that you don't give up on us. I thank you that you love us enough to challenge, but also come alongside us with the Holy Spirit to do and be who you've called us to be. So I pray you would increase our willingness today to be responsive and humble in our approach to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.